Welcome to Euclid Good morning, everyone. One other, uh, not announcement as much as just element of our community life that we'd like you to know about. There's a couple of people who are going to be baptized at the end of June, or at least are discerning a baptismal call at the end of June. And so if you would like to be baptized, if you've never been baptized before as someone uh, responding to the call of Christ, uh, we're going to be doing a four-week class as well as a couple other things during those four weeks of uh, Ways of Praying Together. And uh, we'll be doing that maybe late May beginning, but the very, or certainly throughout June, and the baptism will be the last week of June, kind of a way to close out the year. And hopefully we'll mark the first time this baptismal tank has been used in over a decade. Uh, the building committee has worked to kind of fix it up and they're getting it all together. So we'll be able to christen this, christen a christening tank. How about that for Meta? Um, so yeah, if you're someone who would like to either discern more about being baptized and, or, if you're someone who's being baptized but you'd like to remember your baptism in a more intentional way, and you'd like to journey with us on that, uh, on that journey, but at the end not be baptized, but have an activity of remembering your baptism, you're also welcome. So please talk to me if you're interested. We'll be doing four weeks. It'll be great. Uh, and uh, I look forward to hanging with people who discern that road. Okay, let's uh, open the scriptures. We're going to be at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. Our lectionary text for this week is the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. This takes place after the women have witnessed the empty tomb, as well as Christ, and then they've told Peter. Peter has gone and witnessed the empty tomb as well, but the word is not yet out that Christ has truly risen from the dead. Verse 13. And look... On that very day, two of them were journeying to a village 60 stadia away from Jerusalem, the name of which was Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all these events. And it happened that as they talked and debated, Jesus himself approached and journeyed along with them. But their eyes were constrained so as not to recognize him. Quick pause. That might be a different translation than some that you've heard. That's a much more literal translation from the Greek. Sometimes we, we say that uh, Jesus walked with them, but they couldn't tell it was Jesus, is maybe the way that it's been translated other times. The problem with that, if you say Jesus was walking with them, but they couldn't tell it was Jesus, is that either it means they were stupid or he was in a disguise, and both of those feel unsatisfying to me. I always picture Jesus with the big nose and glasses and mustache. It's not me. I'm not the Lord. I'm just a man, you know. Or that they're just like, this guy sure looks like our best friend. But I can't tell. Like, neither of them feel right. But this feels far more like the human experience. Their eyes were constrained. I con together with or strained to be strained out, that their vision, their perception has been narrowed. And we know that as people, our perception can be narrowed based off all sorts of unnamed, unnoticed, maybe even unconscious biases, fears, anxieties, curiosities. We know that our perception is shifted 
by what we are carrying with us. And so for whatever reason here, their perception of Christ has been constrained, sort of shrunk down, and so they're not able to recognize him, to recognize him, to map this one in front of them with what is in their mind when they think of their friend. As, and he said to them, what are these remarks you exchange with one another while walking? And they stood still with saddened expressions. And in reply, one of them, Cleopas by name, said to him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And ignorant of the things happening in it these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene, a man who was a prophet, mighty in work and word before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers both handed him over for condemnation to death and crucified him. But we had been hoping that he was the one about to liberate Israel. And in addition to all this, it has reached the third day since these things occurred. But some women among us also astonished us having come to the tomb early in the morning and not finding the body, came and told us of having seen a vision of angels who say that he lives. And some of those with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but did not see him. And he said to them, O oh, fools! <laughs> And with hearts, and with hearts, slow to believe in all the things of which the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary for the anointed to endure these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village to which they were journeying, and he made as if to journey further on. And they urged him intently, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and this day has now set. Side note, I like that the resurrected Jesus is so enjoyable to be around that even when they don't know it's him, they're like, Oh, come hang out for the whole night. Like, this guy's great, man. He studies the Bible. He's funny. He's kind of bold. You fools. You know, who doesn't want to talk to someone who's just honest and funny and bold? Let's get Jesus going with us for the night. And it happened that... Oh, sorry. And he went inside to stay with them. And it happened that as he reclined at table with them, he took the loaf and blessed it. And having broken it, he shared it with them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Was not our heart burning within us? 
Well, he spoke to us on the road as he opened the scriptures to us. And rising up in that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem. So they had gone all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, taking them the whole day. What they've encountered is so compelling, so mind-blowing that they run all the way back that very same night. They don't even wait till morning. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. Rising up that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together along with those who were with them, saying, The Lord truly has been raised and appeared to Simon. And they related the things that had happened on the road and how he had been recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Before we dive too deep in this text, I just want to state what popped off to me as I was reading this, which is that these disciples have a crazy story. If, if you encountered someone who had been raised from the dead, and you tried to tell me, I hate to break it to you, but you probably couldn't really tell me that someone, I would try to believe, but like it would be so hard for me to imagine that such a thing is even possible that I don't even know if you could convince me. And this popped in my mind, and I just offer it to you, that the women who saw the empty tomb, and the apostles who witnessed Christ's empty tomb, and the disciples who have met Christ on the road are not trying to convince anyone of anything. They're not trying to convince them. They're just telling them what happened. There's a big difference between trying to convince someone that something is true and simply telling them what happened and what they choose to do with that information is their own journey. Okay, there are two sides to what I think the disciples are articulating and, and two sides of this eyes-opening revelation that they've had. On the one side, we have explanation. The things that we believe, things that we can explain. And to make this easier, I'm going to, I'm sorry, pull out a whiteboard. I, so, uh, apologies. <laughs> Better than slides, though. Okay, there's these kind of two sides to their encounter with Christ. On the one side is what I'm going to call explanation. Explanation is, you know, explaining something. Explain means uh, X, out, and then plain is like to stretch out. Think of like the plains of, you know... Manitoba, or, you know, there's the plains that stretch on forever. So plain, that's the plains. You're laying it out there. Explanation is when someone tells you something, and, and maybe it's something that you believe, but you haven't necessarily experienced it. You can have something explained to you, and you can say that sounds true, but if you haven't experienced it, then you don't know it to be true, but you might believe it to be true kind of by faith. On the other side, we have experiences. Similarly, these are things that we 
out of which we build on faith, we build trust. These are things that we've, we've experienced, we've known them to be true. They've occurred for us, we've encountered them again and again. They are tried, they are tested within our own life. Explanation is often about things far larger than us. Experience is about how we have encountered things. Explanation can be handed to us, but experience must be encountered. And the disciples in this story encounter both sides. They say as they walk on the road, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures and explained how he was found in it. As he laid out a more coherent and a more beautiful and a fuller vision of how God works among his peoples, their hearts were burning, but they hadn't yet experienced it. On the other side, they have an experience where Jesus breaks the bread and suddenly their eyes are unstrained. They see fully, they recognize that the one in front of them is the resurrected Christ. They have been walking with all along. They experience something that they cannot fully explain. Their hearts are burning as they learn, but they haven't experienced. They have an experience that they cannot understand fully, but in the moment when explanation meets experience, that is the moment when our eyes are opened and we see. Two sides to learning. It's a side here and a side here. But when they come together, it is that moment of encounter. When those two sides collide, our eyes are opened. Okay, let's tease this out just a little bit longer, because I find this may be helpful if you're thinking through your own faith life. Some of you have experienced in faith a fair amount of explanation. Ideas, beliefs, words. So when we're talking about explanation, we're talking about beliefs. Things that we believe, things that we work through. We're talking about theology or philosophy. Ah, I should learn how to spell first. <laughs> philosophy. Uh, we're talking about systems of believing and structures. These are truths that you have not yet encountered. Uh, when we're talking about our explanations, we're also talking about the past. Often explanations come when we understand the past. So to make sense of or to explain reality, we have to look backwards. Who has been here before? What stories did they tell? We have to look into deeper time. Who lived here before? What were their narratives? How did they see the world? How did it work? We have to look upwards. What contains and coheres? What structures? What powers? What principles? What patterns? What God holds this together? In order to explain, we need to do all of that sort of work regarding the past and how it moves forward. When we talk about experience, however, we're not talking about things we believe. Fallen child, it's all good. We're not talking about what we believe when we talk about our experience. It's all good, it's gonna happen to all of us by the time we're done here. All of us will once fall, hit our heads, and have to leave crying. It hasn't happened yet, just wait your turn. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> so we've got beliefs, 
with explanation. But experience is what helps us become. We become who we are based on the experiences that we have. Those might cohere with our previous beliefs or they, what we experience may not cohere, but we do become what we experience. Uh, experiences are less about abstract ideas like theology or philosophy. They're more about recognizing. Recognizing in your experience what is true, what is good, what is trustworthy. If the explanation side of our faith is about understanding the past, the experiential side of our faith is about encountering the future. Encountering the future. With our experiences, it's like something that we cannot perceive, something further on than us, higher up than us, something we could not understand, is coming to us. And when you have an experience, you try to make sense of it with your explanations. When you have something explained to you, you try to connect it with what you have experienced. But there may be times where you have an explanation that is so good, you haven't experienced it yet. Our hearts are burning within us. And there may be times where you experience something that is so good, you can't understand it. It's like Christ has appeared suddenly in front of you and you have no words. Is this making sense so far for people? And there are moments like this happens in small ways. Like when I was a kid, my friend, his dad had like a cool van. I say cool van because like I've recently found out like minivans, I always thought minivans were vans because they're called minivans but everyone has them and then I found out that there are van vans, they're like big vans, like expensive hockey vans, you know, or like band vans, you know, the big vans. My friend's dad had like a big van, not a mini, but a big one. And, and I remember we were driving in it and there was a spider crawling on the windshield on the outside and I was like, hey, that stupid spider, get out of here. And, and I started tapping the window. And my friend, Rich, who was driving his dad's van, he said, don't hit the windshield. You might break it. And I said, it's not going to break. I just got to get rid of this stupid spider. Boom, boom, crack, right across the whole windshield. <laughs> that was a moment of awakening. Because <laughs> I knew, in theory, that windows could break. But I had not experienced how horrible it feels to be an idiot in that particular way. I know what it's like to be an idiot in all sorts of ways, but that was a new one. And I was like 15, that was like an early one. That got in there deep. But I, I mentioned that because that moment, if you picture hitting glass, the moment it breaks, that's how fast the insights occur. That's how quickly explanation and experience collide. It happens all at once. Are we tracking? Are we picking up on the subtext here? <laughs> Not talking about windows. <laughs> talking about God. <laughs> We're talking about a God that I'm not trying to help you understand. Because to some degree, you can't. We're trying to explain, to lay out how this whole story holds together in coherence. We're trying to explain and to lay out how we can see the patterns of this God at work. But you cannot explain 
this God. You must experience this God. In the moments where you encounter an experience, you will look for somewhere to put the meaning of that experience. If you encounter a moment of forgiveness from someone who maybe you've wronged, if anyone's been forgiven, you will give thanks to the person who's forgiven you. You'll look for somewhere to put that gratitude. The higher up you encounter moments of insight, revelation, awakening, healing, narratives in your mind changing, experiences of receiving grace or joy, you look at a bird and suddenly the bird looks like a poem to you. You find yourself crying when you're reading a story or watching a movie. You can't tie together why you're weeping. You'll try to ascribe that experience to something. And I just want to suggest, if it's good, your experience, if what you experienced is good, it is God. That's how Christians would see it. You can see it however you want. You can call it the universe. You can be like, I had an encounter with the universe, and it was awesome. And it's like, that's fine. You can say the universe, but why not go all the way, right? Why stop at, like, my community really lifted me up? I right, keep going. You know, life is really abundant, even higher. The universe is transcendent and glorious. Step it up a notch. Let's go all the way. God, you know? Why not? God is, by definition, that which is beyond what you can understand and infinitely on from that. But that God is good. That's what Christ revealed. That God is good. So whenever something comes from above, you can't understand it. You just experience it. If it's good, give thanks to God. If you want. But why not? Why not? Why not go all the way? So if you're here today, and you've spent more time in the explaining half of our faith, I want to acknowledge that it's good. And those of us raised in the church often fail to realize how helpful some explanation can be. Because if you talk to people who were not raised in a faith tradition, or not raised in a home where these sorts of things were discussed, which is a lot of people, you'll find very quickly that they often wish they had been given something to trust. Some explanation, even if it's only like half right, or probably a little better than that, even if there are some issues with the explanation. When I talk to people who didn't have enough explanation growing up, they tell me that they love the church because it just explains things. This is the Bible. This is God. This is prayer. This is forgiveness. This is humility. Explain, explain, explain. So if you were raised in it, maybe right now it's too hard to give thanks for it. But I hope the time comes where you can. Where you can thank God for the explanations you were given. But I hope it does not stay there. I hope that you also find coming to you. You don't have to go chase it. But I hope that you notice coming to you an experience which satisfies all of those explanations. I hope that you have an experience with God that is satisfying to what has been explained to you. Those of you who have had experiences 
with that which is beyond you. Moments where you recognize that you are in the presence of something bigger than you, greater than you, unknowable and good to you. It is my prayer and hope that you can encounter an explanation of something you already know to be true. You have experienced the truth. My hope is that you will find an explanation to what you already know to be true. And whenever these two collide and our eyes are opened, it's like we're reaping what has been sown. It's like it's all coming together. And the journey will continue, ever onward together. Explain, experience. Explain, experience. Constantly guiding us forward until we know all things that are true. My favorite podcast, if you were wondering, <laughs> it's like a hard shift. It's a podcast called The Mockingbird Podcast, or Mockingcast, they call it. Uh, it's a podcast by a couple of uh, Christian people who are just fixated on grace. So they read articles from the last week, and then the three of them talk about where they see grace or its absence in these uh, articles. It's so great to listen to, just like a shot of grace in the arm every two weeks. Uh, in a recent episode, Sarah Condon, one of the hosts, told a story about this very famous sermon that uh, this story's apparently been moving around for, for a while in the Mississippi area. It happened in an, an Episcopal church. That's like the Anglicans down there in the Mississippi area. And it was Easter Sunday. And as she told it, it helped me even understand more because I was like, oh, Easter Sunday. It's like you want to make it a little nice. I forgot that in America, people still go to church. So like here, we're like, oh, it's Easter Sunday. Let's like get some balloons and cake. That's enough. But in America, when people go to church, you know, it's like there's the hats and the outfits. You need five cakes. You need 15,000 balloons. You probably need a fireworks show, let's be honest. Like, you know, American church, they do it a little bit bigger. Even the Episcopals, a little bit fancier. It's a big Sunday. So she says on Easter Sunday, when people are bringing out their guests and their family and their friends and everyone's coming to worship, everybody's showing up, that there's this understanding you want to have a really good sermon. But there was this old priest in the Mississippi area at an Episcopal church, and he walked up for the sermon on Easter Sunday morning. And she said that he uh, took a long look across the room, and he leaned in, and he said, Happy Easter. It's all true. Amen. Amen. <laughs>